Thanks so much for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. The major November New York sales have come to an end. They wrapped up last week. They fit all of them into a single week. I don't know how Phillips, Christie's, and Sotheby's does it from a logistics perspective, but thousands of lots get sold all in a single week. Billions of dollars change hands. And, um, you know, we saw some really great results, especially in the middle of the market, at the top of the spectrum. We saw some very good results and also some not so good results. Whenever we have these major auction weeks, we really like to break them down with someone who was there for all of the auctions, who's covering these very thoroughly, writing about them, analyzing them. One of our favorites is Nate Freeman, who's an art market reporter for Artsy. He covers all the sales and he has good sources there as well. He knows a lot of the people bidding, um, knows the specialists who are bidding on the phones. He has a lot of great insights. And it's always fun after we see the sales results to recap the auctions with someone like him. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much. Nate, it's great having you back on. You survived the auction week? I did. Uh, it was a slog, as always, but some exciting stuff happened. I'm glad we get to talk about it. Definitely. Always great having you on, and there's a lot to break down. I think the best place to start is probably the biggest headline of the week, which was David Hockney becoming the most expensive living artist, as his portrait of an artist pool of two figures sold for $90.3 million at Christie's. And, you know, it's interesting at, at that level, especially, we hear so much about guarantees and how all these trophy pieces have guarantees. I think one of the most interesting aspects of this lot and this sale was that not only was there no guarantee, but there was no reserve. Uh, what was the story behind the painting, the consignment, and the record price? So this was a painting that uh, the consigner just felt like it had a compelling enough narrative and a, a comparing a compelling enough visual narrative that it didn't need a reserve, that it could find, you know, its strength in bidding and just sort of start at a low number and go up. Um, the consigner, not confirmed by Christie's, but confirmed by a number of outlets and indicated through uh, loans, was the Bahamas-based British uh, billionaire Joe uh, Lewis. And he felt that um, he, he just didn't need to have a reserve on it. And uh, you saw, like, what happened in the sale room. It opened at $18 million and then quickly shot up to 60 on the strength of just a ton of bidding in the room and on the phones. And then from there, it its way up to $80 million where it hammered, which was exactly the low estimate. So in the end, it ended up, you know, probably the same place that it would have if there were a reserve. Uh, but... Uh, he just felt like like it would be more exciting, um, and it would spur on bidding if he didn't have one. And as for the painting itself, it was kind of this perfect confluence. You have someone like David Hockney, who in the past two years has really seen his uh, market just explode. He's really started to be taken seriously by uh, you know the auction world specialists and also collectors. You know he wasn't really an art historical uh, icon at least from a market standpoint, until the recent retrospective that uh, went to the Tate and the Met, among other institutions. So uh, it was that show that really catapulted him into uh, this uh, echelon alongside other English artists such as, you know, like Lucian Freud or, uh, or, or Bacon. Um, but before he went there, and so you have this uh, really, um, this market that's really, really on the up and up, 
and then you have this iconic work, and it's it's pretty clear that this is, you know, this is one of the greatest things that David Hockney ever made. This is an unbelievably iconic and big painting. And so when you have an artist whose uh, momentum is really, really kicking in, and you have just the perfect iconic work, that's why you can estimate it at something like 80 million. Yeah, it's interesting the route that the consigner took with having no reserve and... It, it was refreshing to you know see someone at the top of the with the trophy piece feel confident about the work and the price it could get, and they just went for it and let the market take it where uh, where it went. Um, overall, it seems like one of the major takeaways from the auctions was there was some softening at the top of the market and a lot of strength in the middle of the market, which seems to be opposite of what we've seen in the recent past. Is that true from your analysis of the sales, and why do you think we're seeing that shift? That's what appears to be happening, yeah. I think that the reality is there are only so many people in the world who can drop 50 mil on a painting whenever they want to. Uh, and, you know, that's why on occasion you'll see a lot that is supposed to be the most expensive work in, in the sale not getting to its reserve. At Sotheby's, um, at its inbound sale, Marston Hartley's pre-war pageant didn't find a buyer. At the Christie's inbound sale, sale the Van Gogh that was supposed to go for $40 million, that didn't find a buyer. Uh, at Phillips, its uh, star lot, the Jackson Pollock that was consigned by museum in, in Rio, uh, that didn't find a buyer. And that's just because sometimes you can't, you know, pinpoint someone who has the money and really wants to spend it on that work. Um, and so that that's what's been hit the hardest by that is the top, top echelon. And that's why even when a work does sell, oftentimes it's just to the guarantor because there's just no one else who is willing to bid on it. Or maybe there's two people bidding, but not like, you know, not going to find 10 people bidding on something that's that expensive because there just aren't that many people in the world who spend that amount of money. Um, but on the other side, there are certain lots that, you know, really capture the, uh, the imagination of, of collectors and see a real, real strength of bidding. Um, and... That's when, you know, that's what really is propelling uh, the market and these evening sales or, or lots that are, you know, in the, the less than $10 million range that can attract a lot of different collectors to bid. Yeah, and in the May sales, we saw some incredible results for African-American artists with the Kerry James Marshall that went for $21 million, And then there were some other amazing results for other artists such as Barkley Hendricks. I think most people were interested to see if we'd continue to see if the, some of these overlooked and um, arguably undervalued African art, American artists would continue to perform well at auction. Was that the case this past week? It really was. And honestly, to me, this is probably the most exciting thing that's happening in the auction world. Because last May, when at, at that Sotheby's sale, you had new records for Kerry James Marshall, Barclay Hendricks, Njeka, Akinoli Cosby. It just, you could feel the excitement in the room when these records were being broken. When people were just, you know, deciding that, yes, these artists are worth, you know, they're making paintings that are worth $20 million. It's just such like a, a, a shift in the marketplace that I really, really wanted to continue in November. And it did. Uh, Sotheby's really uh, led you know, all the houses in presenting incredible works by African-American artists that, you know, very rightly broke their records. Um, you know, early in the sale uh, on, at Sotheby's, you had uh, Henry Taylor painting selling for uh, quadruple its low estimate. 
and goes for a million dollars, which is really incredible. Uh, just a few years ago, his works were selling at auctions for less than $100,000, for less than $50,000, and now he's a million-dollar painter. That's just remarkable, and, and it's completely deserving. I think Henry's an incredible artist, and he's someone who's really, really capturing what's happening right now. Uh, I can go <laughs> into detail about Henry because I'm a huge fan of his work and him as a person, but it's great to see his market uh, taking off like this. And the Christie's, too, you know. You saw a few great African-American artists who now have new records. What I found really interesting is um, back in October, Louis Gouzet, who is the head of the post-war contemporary department at Christie's, he posted something on Instagram, as he does sometimes, asking for, you know, a work that he wanted to consign. And he just said, pretty, pretty great hashtag Robert Colescott hanging at MoMA. If you have a great one, DM me ASAP. And if it's good enough, we will put it in the evening sales. And... Lo and behold, he found uh, Robert Colescott that he could put in the evening sale, and it, it broke the artist's record. And, you know, that is just, you know, a sign that, like, Luik is obviously aware that there are African-American artists whose work has been undervalued, and he wants to put them in the evening sale, give them this huge platform where they can, you know, sort of bring these artists back in the conversation and really have collectors, uh, you know, see that there's a ton of interest in this work and that, like, it's really time that these artists who might not have gotten their due in the, you know, the past few decades are the, the, the artists that, that it's, you know, important to collect right now. And I'm sure that we'll see... Uh, you know, more African-American artists at our Basel uh, next month than usual. I mean, there are, always are, you know, uh, a, a, there's a fair amount of work by African-American artists at that fair because it's, you know, in America. But I think we'll see more records broken in May of next year, and I think that's an incredibly exciting development. Another artist who had a huge week uh, was Cause. His previous auction record was $1.3 million, and he had three works that easily eclipsed that amount this week. Causes collectors, they seem to be a different breed of collectors than mainstream contemporary collectors. As his prices continue to rise, are you seeing more maybe mainstream collectors start to embrace his work? Uh, what do you make of his really unique market? Well, this is something that's happened in an insanely quick amount of time. You know, it was just back in the beginning of October at the the freeze week sales in London where that uh, million dollar record was set. And it was a pretty surprise to see a cause of an evening sale. Um, and Ollie Barker, the, the uh, auctioneer at Sotheby's, you know, he was selling this, this work called Again and Again, which depicts, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants. And he was having a, a real good time, you know, uh, at the expense of the work. It was kind of shocking to see an auctioneer, like, openly mocking, you know, a work. He, he like, very dryly called out one of the bidders for their quote-unquote good taste. And and so, you know, it didn't seem like cause was, was getting taken seriously by, you know, uh, uh, Sotheby's right then. You know, maybe it's easy to make fun of, you know, a SpongeBob SquarePants work. But it was really, yeah, interesting to see uh, how he was treated. And so I was really looking forward to seeing how the works in uh, these evening sales in New York were going to do because, it you know, in London, it quadrupled its low estimate, but that low estimate was 250000 So maybe I thought, hmm, maybe that's what they're going to be selling for. Maybe one will sell for around a million. That is not what happened. Um, instead, uh, they went, you know, way, way above that. And Phyllis, I think, uh, it hammered at 2.3, if that's right. Um, I, I should uh, double-check that. 
But um, when I was in the, the cell room at Phillips, there were two um, uh, art advisors who I'd never seen before uh, in the room on their cell phones talking to clients. And it was interesting to see, you know, uh, just these figures who I'd never seen before in an auction, like vigorously bidding on a work by cause. So it, it appears that he has a very large following in Asia, just based on who is buying the work. Uh, Kevin Yang, the specialist at Phillips, uh, eventually won it, uh, and I think it was also a um, specialist who focused on Asian clients at Christie's who uh, secured that work. Um, but I can't say for sure. It's you know, uh, it's kind of early in his market to really figure out who's buying it. I think that would be a question for someone like Paris Scarstead, who just started representing him and has to show up of his work in New York right now, or. Um, his other dealers, I guess, Emmanuel Periton has been working with them for a long time. And I know that Periton has a very, very strong presence in Asia. They just opened a gallery in Shanghai um, last week. And so I think that that's the region that's going to continue to uh, pursue work by cause. And so we head to Miami now in just a few weeks. I can't believe it's already almost here. Uh, so as we head to Art Basel, Miami, what do you feel we're just – and from speaking to others within the industry, what were the general takeaways from the auctions as to where the market stands at this time? I know the, the November auctions usually are a really good barometer for people to kind of assess, all right, here's where the market is. People aren't too concerned. They're, they're not coming out of the, the auctions elated necessarily. Um, people aren't you know giddy, but they're certainly not concerned. This is not any kind of a correction like we saw two years ago. Um, because November 2016, the week of auctions uh, brought in $1.18 billion. You know, not nothing. But, you know, this year we got a solid $2 billion, which is a little bit over the $1.9 billion that was secured in May of this year. And while it's down from the $2.3 billion that we saw in November 2017, that can kind of be attributed to uh, one little painting that sold for a lot of money at Christie's, if you recall, the Leonardo. Um, so we're in a good place going into Miami, uh, you know, apart from those, uh, sort of prominent, uh, BIs at the Impmont sales, there wasn't anything that really went awry. The day sales were all very strong. Uh, once again, Sotheby's brought in a hundred million dollars in day sale, which is really, uh, the bread and butter of where the market is. Those are the kind of works that you're going to see in Miami, um, and, so that's a good barometer for where the market is. So if the day sales are doing well, which they did, uh, then I think we'll be fine going into Miami uh, next week or in two weeks. Nate, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and helping us recap the major November post-war contemporary auctions. There were some really interesting results, so we appreciate you breaking them down for us and uh, looking forward to seeing you in Miami. If our listeners want to follow you on social media, if they don't already, how can they do that? I'm and Freeman1234 at, uh, on both Instagram and Twitter. Follow away. Perfect. And, of course, our listeners should check out your writings on Artsy if they don't already. Thanks so much again, Nate. Yep. We always appreciate it. Adam, I love coming on. I'll talk to you whenever. Sounds good.